Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Star Trek as a franchise is almost 60 years old, and so you know yourself there's going to be some episodes that age very, very well, and there's going to be some episodes that don't age very, very well, looking at you, Code of Honor. Now, there are some episodes separate from both of those categories. These are the episodes that, they're actually quite good, but for whatever reason, they just tend to get sort of brushed to the side. Maybe they're not the in the pale moonlights of the franchise, but they're no Spock's brain either. So, with that in mind, I'm Sean Ferrick for Trek Culture and here are 10 Star Trek episodes that seriously deserve a second chance. Number 10, Resistance. Resistance is an oft-forgotten episode of early Star Trek Voyager, guest-starring Oscar-winning actor Joel Grey. It was also the first story that Michael Jan Friedman and Kevin J. Ryan sold to the franchise, both of whom going on to produce tons of content from that point. The story was described by all involved as a Don Quixote-type episode. Grey's Calum, an older man with trouble accepting reality as it is, mistakes Janeway for his long-deceased daughter. He struggles to fight for a resistance that has been crushed unable to do anything else. The episode hangs on the performances, with both Grey and Mulgrew delivering on all fronts. Lisa Klink, who was given the task of writing the teleplay, only a month into her tenure in Star Trek, was asked by the production staff how she felt about Janeway pretending to be a prostitute in one scene. She argued that Janeway was the kind of person who would think nothing of doing whatever it took to safeguard her people. This episode, which had begun life as a Bilana story, features a strong B-plot that sees both she and Tuvok kidnapped and tortured, with them beginning to understand each other much better. Number 9. 11.50 1159 tends to get a little bit of a bad rep owing to its lack of any hard science fiction. Writer Joe Minoski felt that the premise of the episode simply didn't work, then recalled Rick Berman calling him to let him know how much he loved it. As Minoski said, you just never know. The episode stands out largely thanks to Kate Mulgrew's performance as Janeway's ancestor, Shannon O'Donnell. This was both an echo of the strong and confident person that Catherine Janeway is, yet a completely different, somewhat smaller character too. She walks with her head bowed and her hands in her pockets, though is still well able to verbally spar with Henry Janeway. Though hardly the most important episode for its continuity, it nevertheless is a snapshot of the history of the time. The episode was set in the run-up to New Year's Eve 2001, although much of the dialogue makes reference to the then-fear of the Y2K book. Memories of watching this episode on release swim to the surface as easily as they discuss the much-hyped non-global catastrophe while sipping on a beer. Though the original idea, developed by John Delancey of all people, could have seen Q and Guinan in the year 2000, this story actually works as it is. A low-stakes example of 
of some great acting, some great old age makeup, and a car that looks lifted directly from an Alanis Morissette video. Number 8. The Empath. There are several third season episodes of the original series that are overlooked as that season as a whole displayed a sharp drop in quality for the show. The Empath was an example of taking a minimalist approach to the story of the week, largely thanks to Robert Justman and director John Ehrman. The pair had previously worked on an episode of The Outer Limits called Nightmare. This dealt with a very similar theme to The Empath, so Justman felt confident that Ehrman could handle it. The director did such a good job with the minimal budget that the BBC refused to air it until the 90s, owing to its theme of torture. For Star Trek, and particularly early Trek, the scenes are fairly brutal. McCoy's condition, in fact, is perhaps the most difficult part of the episode to watch. The Grumbling Doctor is one of the most popular characters in the series, so to see him selflessly put himself in harm's way to protect the captain and Spock was a powerful moment. The episode could easily be transformed into a stage play. The script is solid, the set is easily reproduced, and the story doesn't require any external shots. One is left to wonder that, had there been more episodes like this in the third season, would the original series have made it to a fourth year? Number 7. The Reckoning The entire Prophet storyline of Deep Space Nine is a bit marmite. People tend to get deeply invested or feel their eyelids grow heavy whenever Cisco opens up one of those orb boxes. But The Reckoning is an example of including the Prophets, introducing the Costumogen, and dialing the action up to 11. The events of this episode set up the finale of the 6th season, but also much of the final run of the 7th season. Louise Fletcher's pitch-perfect Kai Wynn, maddeningly sure of herself, is guaranteed to set your teeth on edge. However, it's her self-righteous indignation that Cisco failed to thank her after her actions. That's enough to drive most fans over the edge. There's barely a person alive who wasn't hoping Major Kira would flush her out the airlock at that moment. The episode would gain a little more notoriety when the tablet that features so heavily here appeared in the teaser for Star Trek Picard's second season. Alas, it was simply set dressings. The hearts of so many Trekkies broke with that realisation, but there is still this episode to enjoy, along with, it almost goes without saying, a superb performance from Avery Brooks. Number 6. Hippocratic Oath This episode falls into the O'Brien Must Suffer camp, but perhaps only tangentially. Really, it's another example of why Bashir and O'Brien do so well together. They are the perfect foil for each other. It's also quite heartbreaking in moments, though that's not often a word one would assign to an episode about the Jem'Hadar. The central theme of the episode, that the Jem'Hadar are simply victims of addiction who need to be freed, is approached differently by both characters. Bashir immediately sets about curing them, while O'Brien finds a way to escape the planet they've been trapped on. The climactic argument between them, where O'Brien literally uses a disruptor rifle to save Bashir from himself, is one of the strongest moments from their friendship. The episode does frame another point of view for the Dominion's foot soldiers, but ultimately it's an excellent example of why Alexander Siddig and Colin Meany work so well together. They both capture their positions perfectly. That heartbreaking moment mentioned earlier involves Bashir pulling rank on O'Brien, the enlisted man. It's perhaps the lowest dig in their entire friendship, one that stings them both and makes this episode a must-watch. Number 5. How Sharper Than a Serpent's Tooth This is an episode that remained almost the same from pitch to release with minor notes from Gene Roddenberry. It was actually DC Fontana who put writers Russell Bates and David Wise on the task of writing about Native American legends. Bates was a Kiowa Native American, something that interested Fontana greatly. Kukulkan is a deity from Mayan culture, but the script had deliberate jibes toward revisionist history, particularly, Bates said, toward Europeans. He noted that the grand claims made by settlers that there was no way that Native Americans could have made the great cities and pyramids without external help allowed him to get a dig in in this episode. Kukulkan is revealed to have visited Earth of the past, spending hundreds of years there, teaching all of the peoples how to build their great marvels. This, Bates joked, was his revenge. If the Native Americans couldn't have done it alone, then no one could have. The episode is easily one of the strongest stories in the animated series, with beautiful designs from Filmation, along with the inclusion of Walking Bear, a Native American officer serving in Starfleet. Number 4. We'll Always Have Paris To be very clear, there aren't many first season episodes of The Next Generation that stand out for any good 
reason. Where stories like Encounter at Farpoint seem to be doing everything in their power to get the show cancelled, along came a story that dared to be a little bit different in the show's debut year. The title is a direct reference to Casablanca, which is arguably the most romantic movie ever released. Why would Star Trek set itself up besides such a giant, and could it pull it off? Well, no. But this episode offers a great performance from Patrick Stewart, and guest star Michelle Phillips of the Mamas and Papas is a great love interest for him, even if their relationship is all meaningful looks and stares. There are some really fun time travel moments to enjoy. Who doesn't love three datas and a shiny space beam? But the strength of the episode is in its longing for the past while accepting the reality of the future. It was an early example of the heady material that the next generation would end up diving into a little more skillfully as the years went by. Number three, Pen Pals. This second season episode of The Next Generation is one of the stronger offerings from that year, even though it tends to fade besides episodes like The Measure of a Man and Q Who. The tale of Data breaking the Prime Directive to save the life of one child offers the audience one of the first great discussion scenes in the show. Picard invites the senior staff to his quarters to discuss Data's actions, which is then followed by a debate. Did Data do the right thing, leading to the Enterprise interfering in the natural evolution of a planet, or did his actions show a lack of judgement? There are convincing arguments on both sides. Worf may be the stereotypical hard-ass in the scene, but his argument that the Prime Directive is clear on such matters is solid. In the end, emotion wins the day. The Enterprise does indeed go to Sarjenka's aid, but in true Trek style, the ending was by no means guaranteed. The episode also features a good B-plot for Wesley Crusher, who, in the second season, was developed into a more capable, likeable character. Number two, Acquisition. Enterprise's first season is often forgotten, even on series rewatches, as it struggled to truly figure out what it was. There were shades of the next generation and Voyager thrown in for good measure, and to be fair, this episode is a mix of both of them. However, thanks to the guest stars, and Connor Trenier running around in his underpants for a good portion of the episode, the episode truly is a fun one to revisit. Jeffrey Combs, Ethan Phillips, Clint Howard and Matt Malloy are frankly brilliant as the Ferengi here. While there is a definite rehash of parts of the next generation's rascals here, these stars manage to rise above the rehash to deliver Enterprise's first truly funny episode. It's as predictable as anything, there was never a chance they'd get away with their heist, but it's also highly entertaining watching them try and fail. Combs displays yet again why he should be in every version of Star Trek possible, but props must also be given to Jolene Blaylock. She manages to convince the Ferengi that she is a slave aboard the starship, and Blaylock seems to be having a ball convincing them. The episode also manages to skirt around canon by never naming their species, something this writer did not appreciate at the time. Number one, a private little war. A private little war is a direct analogy for the Vietnam War, which was still very much ongoing at the time. It shows one of the biggest violations of the Prime Directive that Kirk ever committed, arming one side of a civil war so that the balance of power will be restored. One could easily say that since the Klingons were first guilty of this, that it negates the actions of Kirk. This is an episode that deserves far more discussion than it seems to receive. First, the weapons. Providing Tyree's people with flintlock weapons is against all laws of the Federation, yet it is never revisited in a later episode. This is a choice that is easily on par with Janeway's decision to put Tuvix back through the transporter. Second, the episode introduces Dr. Mbenga, here played by Booker Bradshaw. He would appear only once more in the original series in the episode That Which Survives, though it introduces his skill at treating Vulcans. Third, it introduces the Mugato, which means that this episode sets up the joke that some of them just like to watch almost 60 years earlier. Oh, Star Trek. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.